Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're with us today. Uh, we are just a couple of weeks away from Easter, and uh, it wasn't that long ago that one of my sisters called me and said, hey, John, can you explain to me what the deal is with Easter? Last year, it was on the 2nd of April. This year, it's on the 21st. I mean, what gives? And I said, well, it's no big deal. I mean, Easter's scheduled this way. It's the, it's the first Sunday after the first full moon after the vernal equinox. It's <laughs> what... Okay, I'm just going to Google it. Okay, anyway, but that's literally true. And basically what that means is it's the first Sunday after Passover. And Passover isn't determined by a solar calendar at where we are in rotation around the sun. It's determined by a lunar calendar, the phases of the moon. It's the way the Hebrews track time. And so Easter comes right after Passover. And you go, well, why are Passover and Easter connected? Well, I'm so glad you're here. That's what we're going to talk about today because Jesus felt like it was terribly important that his disciples understood the connection. And if it was important for them, it's important for us because we're the current generation of disciples. Will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word that guides us in all matters of faith and practice and even how we celebrate Easter. And so, God, I pray that um, today you'd remind us not only about Easter, but about Holy Communion and why you came into this world anyway pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way, and you'll clarify some things in our minds so that this year at Easter time we'll celebrate with a renewed vigor, even if we've celebrated it dozens of times before. Lord, I pray that you'd also remind us how much you love us, and that you are the great rescuer. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, inside your bulletin, you'll find a very creative outline. It's on the back of this little piece of origami right here, Okay. Um, on the back of that, you'll find the outline of where we're headed today, and um, you'll understand why we went to all this trouble. I hope you'll understand why we went to all this trouble here uh, in folding all this uh, and doing something special with the outline today uh, as we go along. Uh, point one is simply this. It was no coincidence that Jesus was crucified during the celebration of Passover. In fact, when you read in Luke 22, it's real clear. Luke records this. Now, the festival of the unleavened bread had arrived, and when the Passover lamb is sacrificed... When that time came, Jesus and his apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus, the night before he was crucified, had a Passover meal with his disciples because he wanted to make some terribly important connections for them. And so today, in order to understand Holy Communion, the Last Supper, which has become the Lord's Supper... And observance for us, Jesus wanted to connect the dots. And he said, I've been so eager to eat this with you. Because the next day when they saw him crucified, it would all start to make sense. And they'd go, oh. And they'd discover all kinds of amazing, rich meanings in this. So three things you need to know. First of all, A, God commanded his disciples, uh, commanded his people to observe Passover so they would always remember how he rescued them. In the Passover, God was rescuing them from an evil tyrant king, the Pharaoh of Egypt, where the Israelites had been in slavery for hundreds of years. They would cried out to God because their burden was so heavy. The Pharaoh was even drowning, gave orders to drown little baby boys of the Israelites, uh, the little boy children of the Israelites, as soon as they were born. They were under a heavy yoke of oppression. They cried out to God, and God heard their prayer. In fact, in Exodus, it says that God told Moses, I'm sending you to go rescue my people because I've heard their cries, and I'm going to rescue them. And so there were a whole series of plagues that he brought upon 
the Pharaoh of Egypt because the Egyptians worshipped a whole pantheon of gods, gods of the crops and gods of uh, rain and gods of the Nile River and other things like this, and so and gods of the sun. And so one by one, God sent plagues that would prove he was stronger than any of the gods in the Egyptian pantheon. He was even stronger than Pharaoh himself, who claimed to be a god. And so the last plague was the one that was the final straw where Pharaoh was willing to let the people go. Because after every other plague, Moses had said, hey, if you don't let my people go, God's going to bring a plague, a terrible disaster upon you. But his heart was stubborn. He was so prideful. And the last plague was the worst. It would be the firstborn in every household, the firstborn child and the firstborn animal in every household in all of Egypt would die. And so it would be a horrible plague. There wouldn't be any household that wasn't affected. And uh, that would finally be the deal. But Pharaoh didn't believe until after the plague had happened. He wouldn't let the people go. So finally, uh, on the, the designated time, the angel of death passed through at midnight. And there was, sure enough, there was a child in every one of the Egyptian households that died, but not in the Hebrew households because God had shown them how to avoid um, being affected by that plague. And that's what Passover celebrates because he told them to mark their homes with a sign of blood. So, point A again, God commanded his people to observe Passover so they'd always remember how he rescued them. This is from Exodus 12, 14. This is a day to remember each year from generation to generation. You must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. It's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, and though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. And they were supposed to always remember this. I mean, at the first of that reference, if you'd circle the words, this is a day to remember. And so every year, for the 1,500 years, between the time of Moses and the time Jesus uh, celebrated this with his disciples, this had been celebrated. And it's terribly important that it was so important that this was something that nobody wanted to forget. They all looked forward to it, kind of like Christmas and Easter all rolled into one. And whenever we have a, uh, a big celebration, it's important for us to remember things. <laughs> More than once in my ministry, I've had to sit down with guys where their wives have sent them to me because I've openly shared that studying engineering in college didn't prepare me for romance with my wife whatsoever, okay? Growing up on a farm didn't prepare me for romance either, and so I had to study. I, I read books on romance. I made lists of romantic things to do. I did all kinds of things and uh, to learn to be a little bit more romantic, and my wife thinks now I'm up to um, not quite as terrible as I was at the beginning level, okay? But it's so funny because I'll have people, come, husbands come in. It's happened more than once. We'll sit down and go, okay, so what do I need to know? And I go, well, there's three important dates you need to remember. These are dates you need to remember. You need to remember her birthday. You need to remember your anniversary. And if, she, and if you have children, you need to remember that she's the mother of your children. You need to remember Mother's Day and celebrate that. And then occasionally I'll even have somebody say, okay, well, I understand her birthday and her anniversary, but she's not my mom. She's the mother of our children. And I'll go, there are three dates you need to remember, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> remember and it's and if you multiply that times 10,000 this was Passover this is a date you need to remember all the Israelites were in slavery for hundreds of years they cried out for deliverance and God not only delivered them from slavery but he took them to their own land a promised land 
And he said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. It's not a pantheon of gods. It's just me. I'm the real one. And I love you. You're my chosen people. Don't ever forget that. Big deal to God. Point B, the Passover celebration required the sacrifice of a spotless lamb. That angel of death was passing through Egypt. It would pass over the houses that were marked by the blood of the lamb. On the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. God would accept a substitute. There wouldn't be a firstborn that would die. The lamb would die in their place. That brings us to point C. Both the flesh and the blood of the Passover lamb were significant. Exodus 12 again. That it takes some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the top of the door frames of the houses uh, where they uh, eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made from yeast. For the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians, but when he sees the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame, the Lord will pass over your home, and he will not permit the death angel to enter your house and strike you down. So that's why we took all the time to do this folding here. When you fold it together and you look at the Passover, it's a door frame of a house with the blood spread over it. And Jesus wanted to make the connection between the Passover and his crucifixion crystal clear. And that's what I'm hoping to do this morning, too, so we won't miss that this is uh, what's happening here, that Jesus is the Passover lamb, and you'll see we're getting to that in the next point. Let me bring up one other scripture that's not in um, your outline here, because I want to remind us of this. The reason that God never wanted to forget his people and forget this is that he is a God who cares, and he is a God who rescues. I want you to listen to Psalm 120, verse 1. I took my troubles to the Lord, I cried out to him, and he answered my prayer. Can we read that together, please? I took my troubles to the Lord, I cried out to him, and he answered my prayer. That's exactly what happened. The children of Israel cried out to God, and God sent them a deliverer. He rescued them from slavery to Pharaoh. He protected them from the angel of death. He heard their prayer. We serve a God who rescues us. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? And so the whole big point of Passover was don't ever, ever, ever forget this. Never forget this. So the night before he was crucified, Jesus said, I want to eat a Passover meal with you because you've got to make a connection between Passover and what happened at the time when the Israelites were delivered from slavery in Egypt to now. And that brings us to point two. At the Lord's Supper, Jesus gave Passover a whole new meaning. He did. And he said, I want you to understand the connections here. So... Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three 23 with me, please. The Lord Jesus took some bread. During the Passover meal, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup of wine and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. 
Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. During the Seder meal, Seder, the word Seder just means order. There's a prescribed order to a Seder meal. And the Seder meal is based on those commandments we read about how the people were supposed to eat the lamb that had been sacrificed, how they were supposed to eat unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And so if you attend a Seder meal, and I would recommend you do to understand how significant it was and understand why Jesus would, how Jesus made these connections. What's interesting is, is the bitter herbs would remind them of the bitter years in slavery, and there was no opportunity even to worship their God and as the way, the way God wanted them to. And so those were bitter years, and they're supposed to be reminded of that. And several times during the meal, unleavened bread is used, and it's unleavened. It was bread without yeast. In fact, the whole uh, feast of unleavened bread is about getting rid of all the yeast in your house. Because yeast represents sin. You get rid of all the sin. Get it out. And uh, they were supposed to then um, bake this bread without yeast because they were going to have to leave in a hurry. That night when the angel of death came over and there was somebody dead in all the Egyptian houses, they were screaming and wailing all over Egypt. None of it where the Israelites lived in their section. And the Egyptians said, you get out. After hundreds of years in slavery, refusing to let them go, they begged them to go. They took off their jewelry, they took off their finest clothes, and they showered them with gifts on the way out. Just, just leave, or else we're all going to die. And so during that time when they're eating the meal, there are, there's unleavened bread that's part of the meal, and there are several cups of wine that are poured out during the meal, and people drink it along with a number of prescribed readings and prayers. Well, during the Passover meal, when Jesus is doing, celebrating with his disciples, he says, he took the unleavened bread and he broke it and he said, I want you to do this. This is my body, broken for you. I mean, this is my body. I'm sacrificed for you. Well, disciples had never heard that before. There were lots of things said during the eating of unleavened bread, but nobody ever said that before. And there are several cups of wine that are um, given, that are um, that people partake of during the course of the uh, Seder meal. But nobody had ever done what Jesus did in the passage we just read. He took the cup of wine and he said, and this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins of many. Nobody had ever heard that. And Jesus said, the reason I'm telling you this is, and it's in the middle of that paragraph we just read there, you can find the words, new covenant. This is a new covenant. Covenant means arrangement. In the Old Testament arrangement, that's where sacrifices of animals had to be made over and over again, a substitute, just like the Passover lamb. Well, sacrifices were offered over and over again for sin, because the wages of sin is death. But Jesus said, I want you to understand, I'm making a new arrangement. And so another word for covenant, by the way, is testament. And that explains the division in your Bible. These are the, the Old Testament, are the books of the Bible dealing with the old arrangement. The New Testament are the writings in the Bible that deal with the new arrangement. So it's not just first half and second half. Old arrangement new arrangement. Old arrangement 
Holy God can only be approached if you offer sacrifices on your behalf because you're sinners. And you have to do it over and over again. And you're never free of sin. You aren't going to have the strength in your own to conquer it. In the New Testament, there's a one-time sacrifice offered for all. And Jesus said, that's me. That brings us to Romans 6.23 in your outline. Paul is commenting on this. He said, look, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because, see, the Lord's Supper requires the sacrifice of a spotless lamb. Peter, who was at the Last Supper, wrote this when he reflected on it. He said, God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it wasn't paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Another reference you can write in there is 1 Corinthians 5, 7, where Paul says the same thing, that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Now, what they mean by that is this, is that you presented a spotless lamb. You didn't take a lamb with a broken leg or some sickly animal. You took the pride, the, the, the nicest, the choicest of your flock. And that represented God's own son, God giving us his own son, to be the substitute for all our sins. In fact, Hebrews 4.15 reminds us that when Jesus came into the world, Jesus, this high priest of ours, understands our weaknesses. He was just like us in a human body. He faced all the same testings and temptations we do, yet he didn't sin. And so he was a spotless lamb who could be sacrificed as our Passover lamb. And so the idea here is that Jesus commanded his disciples to observe communion at the Lord's Supper so that we'll always remember how he rescued us from slavery to sin. Not slavery to Pharaoh, but slavery to sin and death. And how through his blood, we don't have to fear death anymore because it's eternal life through Christ Jesus. One more thing, point C here. In the Lord's Supper, both the body and the blood of Christ are important. Just like in the Passover lamb, Jesus, John 6. He said, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is the true food, and my blood is the true drink, and anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. And this is what he was explaining at that last supper the Passover meal with his disciples. The whole idea here is simply this, that we're saying, God, I want your life to be my own. If I stand out on my own, the angel of death won't pass over me. I can't rescue myself from slavery to sin and death. You must do it. And so the body and the blood are both important. Now, Jesus had longed for this meal with his disciples. He wanted them to make all these important connections. Because the next day, when he hung on the cross, he wanted them to put together the same thing we're hoping you do with, that you do with this little fold out here, that the blood that's on the doorpost, on the sides and the top of the doorpost, would be the blood from the hands and the crown of thorns on Jesus' head. And he was a Passover lamb. It's really even interesting, um, there's more detail, we find out even more detail so that 
uh, in God's planning on this so that we could recognize Jesus as the Lamb of God. Just listen to John 19. This is about Jesus' crucifixion. It was a day of preparation, and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day. Jesus is being, has been crucified between two thieves. The Romans always do this in a very public place. It was their way of controlling crime. They found it to be a powerful deterrent. If you were conspiring against Rome or you'd committed a capital offense, then you would be crucified publicly in a very gruesome way. So the message was, don't mess with Rome. Okay, don't mess with us. And what would happen was you'd be nailed to a cross with your hands on the cross piece and your feet crossed over and nailed into the upright, and you'd hang there. And um, the idea was, is as you'd, they'd always nail you on there with your knees slightly bent so that you had to push up on the nail of your feet to grasp air. Because when you have your arms pulled back like you'd be hanging forward if you nailed to a cross, you can hear how my voice gets strained because your diaphragm gets pulled tight. And the only way is to right yourself to get a breath of air. And so every time you push down on your feet, it would cause pain. You'd grab air, and then you'd slump down, and then it would cause pain in your hands with the nails on your hands. And they figured that was a perfect way to deter crime, to watch people die slowly, because eventually people would run out of energy, and they're, they'd cramp up, and their legs wouldn't work anymore. They couldn't do it, and then they'd hang down, and they'd suffocate. That's how you die of crucifixion. It's a horribly gruesome thing. And the Jews had seen, who had wanted Jesus cru crucified, the, the priests, the Jewish priests who wanted him crucified, they didn't want, the next day was going to be a Passover when they were going to be celebrating the great deliverance of God's people in the past, and they didn't want people up there screaming on a cross, hey, everybody come over for dinner, and in the middle of dinner you hear people screaming out in agony. What's that? It's those three guys dying on crosses out there. Because there are records that people, some people, stayed alive on the cross for more than two days. And they would die very slowly, and it was a horrible thing. Well, John 19 again. It was the day of preparation. The Jewish leaders didn't want people hanging there screaming the next day when they're trying to observe the Passover, which was a Sabbath, and a special Sabbath because it was the Passover. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. So they'd take like a lead pipe or a baseball bat type of thing. They'd walk up and break the legs of the guys on the cross, and then you couldn't push up. So the next three or four minutes, you'd suffocate. We're done. So they said, well, hey, can you speed that up? Um, so they asked Pilate, who was the Roman governor, to hasten their deaths by ordering their legs to be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came, broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. When they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his, did pierce his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. So they knew he was already dead. Now this is important for two reasons. This is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's important to note that Jesus died on the cross. At the same time, Passover lambs were being slaughtered throughout Jerusalem. The day of preparation, the day before the Passover, then you would slaughter the lambs, in the afternoon, for that meal you were going to eat later. And so at the same time the Passover lambs were being slaughtered, Jesus gave up his spirit and said, it's finished. It's also significant that they didn't break his legs. 
So the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goats at twilight, Exodus 12, 6. And then Exodus 12, 46, when they're following the instructions on Passover, it was also, and do not break any of its bones. In fact, if you go to a Seder meal, there's even a shank bone on the plate as part of the Seder meal. It reminds you of exactly that commandment. You're not supposed to break any of the bones of the Passover lamb. And all these things are recorded for us and Jesus ate the Passover meal with his disciples so that we wouldn't miss the connection. For 1,500 years, millions and millions of lambs had been sacrificed. But now that was done. Sacrifice for all time had been paid. So three life applications for you and me. First of all, I think it's important to remind ourselves that we can bring all of our concerns to the Lord because he cares about all the details of our lives. I mean, I want to uh, bring up a scripture here for you also um, that is, is important too, that 2 Timothy 1.9, can we put that up? Yeah, God saved us and called to live a holy life, and he, didn't, and he did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. From before the beginning of time, God planned all this. Jesus knew exactly what was happening. Everything happened exactly as God had commanded it. He knew he would be crucified. He knew that he would die at the time when the lambs were being slaughtered. He knew that that would happen right before the Passover. And God had written all these things down back in Exodus, 1,500 years earlier, so everybody would know, hey, the Passover lamb's legs aren't going to be broken. And when I think about that, it reminds me that God cares about every single detail of this. And it's important that you and I need to understand God cares about every detail of our lives. I mean, listen to this uh, marvelous verse from Psalm 37, 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly, and he delights in every detail of their lives. That's why we talked about before that we can bring all our problems to God, and he hears us. We also need to understand that he delights in every detail of our lives, and that he can help us. I mean, all three of our sons, we had uh, three weddings. Our, all three of our sons got married within a three-and-a-half-year period. And when our first son was getting married, I remember my wife went to see a friend of hers who'd had multiple sons get married, and she didn't know anything about being a mother-in-law. And she didn't know anything about taking care of, uh, my wife didn't know anything about taking care of the responsibilities during a wedding. What are the responsibilities of the groom during a wedding and the groom's family? And so she knew this woman who'd had multiple sons and said, hey, can I come over here and ask you a few questions? Well, she went over there, and I got a few questions for you, and this gal pulled out a three-ring binder with all this information. And Debbie took notes for like two hours and came back and said, okay, we got a lot of work to do, okay. <laughs> and what was so amazing was is at the end of, I mean, as she went through the process, she could call this gal anytime and ask her questions. She'd go, yep, this, nope, that. There was no detail that she couldn't find an answer for. Well, now multiply that times a billion. There's no problem we can bring to God that's too small or too big for God to handle. I talked to someone the other day about a problem, and I said, hey, why don't we just pray about that? They go, oh, we don't need to pray about it. It's not that big a deal. And I go, you'd rather figure it out on your own? And they said, no, let's pray. And when we pray, we're asking the God of the universe, God, help me. God, show me what to do. God, take care of this. I don't know where I'm going. God, lead me. God cares about every detail of your life. He knew every detail about the crucifixion before it ever happened. 
And it was all exactly as God planned, so no one would miss it. A second life application is this, is we need to respond to God's amazing gift of his son. Jesus himself said, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. In Exodus 12, right after he gave all the instructions about how to prepare the lamb and to, and to put the blood on the door frames of the houses, it says that the people of Israel went out and did everything Moses told them to do. For the angel of death to pass over, you had to, the lamb had to be slaughtered and the blood had to be put on the door frame of your house. You couldn't just say, yeah, I understand, that's a good concept. Yeah, I believe there's a God. That wasn't the point. Okay, good, I'm glad you believe there's a God. Now this is how you respond to what he told you to do. When we come to Christ, we need to believe that he really died on the cross for our sins, that his blood was shed. His body was nailed to the cross, and it should have been me. He died in my place. And they had to respond. The Egyptians will have heard this too, but they didn't respond. I mean, Moses told them what was going to happen, and they didn't respond. Our part is to just respond and say, Christ, I surrender my life to you. And thirdly, we must never forget what Christ did for us. This is why, I mean, the, uh, the Passover was celebrated every year. The Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, celebrated over and over again. Because we never want to forget this. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Jesus had said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. There are a couple of times when we forget what God did for us. Sometimes when we blow it, we think God will never forgive me. And we, we forget the fact that our sins, the penalty for our sins have been paid in full at the cross. We forget it. And somehow we think we have to earn it all over again. The children of Israel didn't earn it. They were slaves. They were inside their houses when the angel of death passed over. They were showered with gifts that they didn't earn on their way out because God rescued them. When we come to Christ, he saves us by his grace. We don't have to earn it. If that's good news to you, David, would you say amen? I mean, another time we forget it is we forget that every Christian must do this. Every house had to have this. Every house. And it's what binds us all together. And we forget that sometimes. And we forget that we are all this way. And there are Christians all around the world that are doing this. Have surrendered their lives to Christ. And they eat of the bread and drink of the cup too. Because they're depending on Christ just like we are. Too often we get caught up in our own little circles of friends and things. And sometimes we even think we're in competition with other churches and things. By the way, tonight at the Biscuit Stadium at 6 p.m. There's a wonderful celebration called an awakened worship service. We have a time of prayer and at the end of and time of worship. And at the end of that time, we're going to have Holy Communion together. There's like 37 churches that are going to have people there tonight. I'm going to be participating in the program myself. I'd invite you to come. Six o'clock tonight. Biscuit Stadium is free. And we're all going to remind ourselves that every single person who believes in Christ, like Jesus said, accepts him as Lord and Savior, their sins are forgiven. And the angel of death will pass over. 
So we're going to have a time of communion here this morning, and they're going to have that at each of our locations. Let me have a brief word of prayer for us, and then um, we'll have communion together. God, I thank you for that Jesus explained the meaning of his death through using some of the things that have been used for centuries for Passover. Gave him new meaning. And God, I pray that we would apply all these truths to our heart. That we remember you're a God who rescues. That you're a God of grace and loving kindness. That you paid the penalty for all our sins. And God, I pray that we would invite others in and we would always remember, Lord, what you did for us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.